Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And today I'm bringing you a really special guest and a really special topic. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, if we tune into any kind of media today. We hear stories of conflict and chaos, how people are treating each other. There's these cultural clashes, discrimination, polarization, and the never-ending story of war. But today, just for an hour, let's turn our attention inward and focus on our relationship with ourself. Why is it that so many of us end up in a place of constant battle with ourselves? Why do we return to things we know will ultimately destroy us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually? And how can we begin to lay our weapons down and cultivate inner peace? After the tragic beauty, I'm going to put that in quotes because it's such a beautiful quote from this book I'm looking at right now, quote, tragic beauty, unquote, of a near-death relapse and many years caught in the cycle of addiction, recovery, relapse, and repeat, our guest found himself for the first time caring about relapse, and I'm going to tell you what that means later in the show. In his recovery, he began asking poignant and revelatory questions about our self-destructive behaviors with some of the brightest luminaries on the planet, and the result is good medicine for us all. I'm looking forward to this conversation, like I said, and if you're wondering how do we begin to reintegrate the disconnected parts of ourselves that so often are at war within, and how do we start healing them? I invite you to listen into this conversation. Take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest, Chris. Grasso is a youth mental health and healing group facilitator, public speaker, writer, and author of Indie Spiritualist, Everything Mind, and now Dead Set on Living. This is an important book for all of us, and you're going to find out so much more. Welcome, Chris. And thank you so much, Julie, for that lovely introduction. Well, thank you. You know, I was so thrilled to see this book and yet so saddened by your story piece of it. And we're going to get into that in a minute and tell our listeners I had you on right after you wrote um, Indie Spiritualist. And it it was such a meaningful conversation and I've loved to follow your work, Chris. But I'm going to start with our traditional first question. You've, You've answered it maybe five years ago, four years ago, whenever that was. And I know with your life experience and where you're at today, a more, well, I'm not even going to 
I'm not even going to tell say what kind of response I think is going to come, but <laughs> I know something amazing will come from this, Chris. So would you share with our listeners right off the bat, what does all things connected mean to you today? Yeah, you know, I wish I could go back and listen to that first conversation. Maybe I'll see if I can find it in archives because I'd be interested to see how I answered that uh, years ago mm-hmm. compared to today. But when you ask me that right now in this moment, um, it makes me think of the Advaita teachings that I am so fond of uh, in the lineage of teachers such as Ramana Maharshi or Nisargadatta Maharaj or more contemporary people like Adi Ashanti, uh, Muji, non-dual teachers like that. And all things connected, quite literally, is all things connected, whether it is manifest or unmanifest. It is all consciousness. It's all an expression of consciousness. And therein to me lies the beauty and also the frustration at times. Uh, but that I recognize is ego Chris wanting things to go his way, playing director. And uh, But I also use those experiences as a gentle reminder to uh, remind myself of that Zen proverb, let go or be dragged something I'm very fond of and something that <laughs> I've struggled with and continue to struggle with today. But um, yeah, that that's what that means to me. It, it, it Quite literally, it, whether we're looking at it from a spiritual or scientific perspective, all things are connected. It's, it's all quite literally one. And uh, mm. it's pretty beautiful to me. So, yeah. Thank you. That was that was a beautiful answer. And now I'm curious. I, I may go um, look up those archives myself and <laughs> hear the difference. And, yeah. and just really promoting this show, too, because literally we are all evolving. And, and just as you will notice, no matter what you said the first time you were on the show, um, we're getting to this place where we don't even have to like prove this anymore. Right. It's like yeah. you just said science and spirituality. It's just what it is. We, yeah. we don't have to try to convince people or, or anything anymore, which is really lovely in itself. Yes. You know? Yeah. yeah. I think it's so great that finally it seems as though physicists um, are speaking the language that many of the ancient rishis and sages uh, from the Hindu tradition were thousands of years ago in ancient texts like the Vedas and Upanishads. Uh, it's so such a fascinating dynamic to me to see essentially them pointing at these same things, but just using different words, different languages, um, talking about energies and vibrations and, again, the, the quantum potentiality and waves and particles and it's it, yeah it's a very exciting albeit um somewhat concerning time to be alive but i guess then again when is it not so mm. well your response was really beautiful which gives us some clues about you as well chris when you said it's all an expression of consciousness and you're talking about these ancient texts and quantum physics like a person who's very embedded and embodied in a contemporary spirituality and you wrote your first book indie spiritualist which i think was really an important time for us to really look at ourselves and, and I really love the depth and breadth of your exploration that always comes through, which just did. So why don't we start by just 
you telling our listeners a little bit about you and your journey and what's brought you here to this place today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me try to nutshell this because it's it's a lot, and I'm sure we covered um, a lot of it when we first spoke. But um, leading up to 2014, when my first book, Indie Spirituals, which you mentioned, was published, um, essentially what led me to that place, again, very condensed, was the uh, experience of becoming addicted to drugs and alcohol. Uh, it started for me around 15 or 16, the experimentation phase, which was later than many of the friends that I knew that had already been experimenting. But I was very enthralled in the punk rock and hardcore music scene and still am to this day. But a subgenre of that is what's called straight edge, uh, which basically means drug and alcohol free. And so I was involved in that. Then some years went by, got bored with that started experimenting with the basics, you know, uh, beer, whatever alcohol, being an underage person could get their hands on. So wine coolers, whatever it was. Um, and then marijuana and then the hallucinogenics came in. And so pretty much between 16 and 19, I very quickly made my way through the stages of experimentation into regular use, then abuse and then cross that line at 19 from abuse into addiction, where essentially for the majority of people, there's really no going back. Uh, so 19 to 24 was a continuing downward spiral, was basically using and abusing every drug under the sun. Uh, alcohol has always been my main drug of choice, but it was that and typically whatever else was available. Um, during that time, I was waking up after blackouts in emergency rooms and jail cells. Um, there was a couple of unfortunate uh, suicide attempts, so I spent time in psychiatric hospitals. And then at 24, uh, I went into my first detox and experienced my first full-on withdrawals, which was very unpleasant to say the least. But uh, it kind of gave me a new lease on life, a new appreciation for life, because it was the first time after I got through the withdrawals that I had been sober in many, many years. I literally wouldn't go a day without putting some semblance of, a, of chemicals into my body that would alter my, my experience of life and take away the pain and the mental frustrations and sadness and depression, all these things I was experiencing. And then from 24 to my early 30s, it was a cycle of getting sober and doing some of the healing work that I was recommended to do, whether in formal 12-step fellowships or I began a spiritual exploration around then. Um, so learning about meditation and yoga and really just devouring all of the uh, more of the mystic tenets of the great wisdom traditions from mystic Christianity to Advaita, which I mentioned before, uh, Sufism, um, what else, Zen or other forms of Buddhism, uh, Sufism. I don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah, so there was a lot that uh, was really resonating with me. And But unfortunately, I would be sober for about a year, year and a half, sometimes two years, even five years at one point, but I would return back to these uh, self-defeating behaviors, these relapses, um, things of that nature. And that all came to a head prior to writing Indie Spiritualist in, um, I don't know, I think it was like 2010, give or take, 2011. 
And uh, I ended up in a treatment center in New Jersey. I was living in Connecticut at the time. And that was where another very near-death experience had happened. Uh, I ended up losing my job, losing uh, just a lot. I mean, uh, on the material level, I lost everything. Car was repossessed. But emotionally, I was completely bankrupt. Um, I missed my brother's wedding while I was in detox. I was supposed to be his best man. It was just a rough time. So I went to treatment, came back home, moved in with my parents in my 30s with literally nothing, filed for unemployment. And I, even during active addiction, I still maintained uh, a certain degree of uh, a work ethic that's always been important to me. But so I filed for unemployment and I had nothing. But what I did have for the first time was a real sense of surrender. And uh, as a result of that, I ended up writing my first book, which I didn't intend on writing. It was just an interesting turn of events that that came to fruition. And then from there, started speaking and, and traveling, uh, speaking at conferences and festivals. Then my second book, Everything Mind, came out the year after that was Sounds True. Another wonderful experience, continuing to write, speak, doing a podcast with the Be Here Now Network, which I still do now uh, by the same title of my first book, Indie Spiritualist. So things were going great, got married, uh, was living in Ottawa, Canada, and ended up relapsing yet again. And my marriage dissolved um, partially as a result of that, but there were many other underlying factors. And uh, and that relapse, the one that ended the marriage, it was 24 hours. Uh, it was just a 24-hour relapse, but one that landed me in back in an emergency room. Uh, this time I was intubated, which means I had a tube put into my lungs. It was breathing for me because I was no longer responding at that point. And I had a second tube in my stomach that was trying to soak up some of the alcohol. And since I was not responding, they didn't know what else I had in my system, which um, was only Percocet because I'd been prescribed them for a root canal I'd had done. Uh, though I shouldn't have taken them, I did. And that led me to drinking. And uh, that's a whole nother story, which we can explore further if you want to. But um, anyways, yeah, so I ended up in the hospital very, very, very lucky to be alive after that. They told me that had I come in five minutes later, um, even if I survived, I most likely would have been brain dead because there was no oxygen going to my brain. Um, when I got there, they gave me um, Narcan, which is what they give people uh, who've overdosed from heroin or opiates. And I was not uh, overdosing on heroin or anything like that, but they just didn't know. So they were taking every precaution. And, um, and so, yeah, it was a very humbling experience, a very traumatic experience for me. And of course, those involved, it was definitely not just about me. My ex-wife um, had to experience some of that. My family had to experience that again. So there was a lot of guilt and shame and embarrassment because at this point, I'm semi in the public eye being an advocate for recovery and writing and teaching about that as well as other spirituality. But that's a big focus of my work. So... It was a very, it has been a very tough experience, you know, to pick myself back up from and work through. But that's the real inspiration for this book is exploring why the hell we go back to these things and not just addiction and recovery. The book explores all oh, just a myriad of self-defeating behaviors from eating, overeating to Internet to um, uh, empty sex, uh, video games. I mean, it goes on and on. But um you know, I, I, as with anything in my life, I wanted to take it and first of all, get myself well, but then use this as an experience that hopefully 
others can benefit from. So it wasn't, you know, for nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I apologize for the lengthy response there, but that was summing it up as briefly as I, I think I could without uh, glossing any of it over. Yeah, well, I appreciate the not glossing. And I, I think it does set this context for the conversation that's important. Um, for those out there listening, know this is real. Yeah, And I, I think that's one of the most important pieces of, of your lived experience is, and, and even just listening to your, your humility today, um, just opens my heart more of, of, of really the power of your voice here for others to look at moving from this self-destruction, mm. which is endemic in our culture. It's not just like you said, the drugs and alcohol, it's, um, it's TV, it's internet, it's social media, it's these kids on devices, it's yeah. gaming. It's so big that we turn toward this self-destructive behavior when literally, um, you know, you talk about this journey of waking up and, and what life really could look like. So let's talk about the, the title of your book. Mm. I love it. This difficult but beautiful journey from effing up to waking up. It's, it's called Dead Set on Living. And, and how, how did you, first of all, how did you title that? and why. But let's talk about that journey and what you've learned. Yeah. Well, the title, it, it popped into my head. And the, the interesting thing is I found out two things after that. So first of all, it's the first title out of my three books that um, stuck. The first two books had different titles. They were sold with the other titles, but then, you know, I agreed with the publisher on, we found a happy middle ground. This was a very strong title, Simon & Schuster felt, who published the book. And, uh, and I am glad they liked it. So it just, it popped into me, you know, it's like, man, I, I'm really dead set on doing this. I, I don't want to die. But what I found out after the fact is there is a show called Dead Set on Life on Vice Channel, which I've since become a fan of. Um, I was not familiar with that show. It's kind of a, a cooking exploration show. Really great show. I recommend people check out. Um, and also there is a song of this title from a totally coincidence to me, but a Canadian uh, hardcore band. And I, like I said, I still love hardcore music. Uh, they're a band called Cancer Bats and they have, it's either a song or an album called Dead Set on Living. So it's just mm -hmm. so interesting that there were these correlations um, to that and things that uh, I'm very much interested in. But yeah, it, it popped in my head and, and that's really just it, what it is, Dead Set on Living and and um, trying to help others in their healing journeys, again, from whatever it is that they are uh, healing from and, and, and trying to find a more skillful way to live our lives, something with that brings greater ease into our daily practices and our daily experience. So um, that's that's where the title comes from. And then just, you know, the subtitle, the the journey from effing up to waking up. I, you know, I, I love to think of swear words as sentence enhancers. So I, <laughs> I often incorporate those in and uh, it's just playful. I am, you know, it's not a angry, aggressive thing. I like to be lighthearted and, and I am a big kid. I often joke I'm a, an 11 teen year old at heart because <laughs> I don't ever want to lose touch with that childish uh, wonder and silliness. I have it. I turned 40 a few months ago, but I still really do feel like a big kid and I'm grateful for that. So, mm. um, yeah. Well, one of the gifts of this book, uh, I feel is the conversation 
about addiction and really looking at our pain and looking at the the pain um a piece that comes early in the text is the role of trauma in early childhood and that addiction is potentially a way that we're trying to solve this problem and we're not getting at it. I'd love for you to talk more about this, the, the pain and trauma piece. Yeah, which is absolutely huge. And thank you for bringing that up. Um, in the second chapter, I, that's kind of an underlying theme throughout much of this book, but I appreciate that um, we start to kind of talk a little bit about it in chapter one, which is a conversation with uh, the wonderful Buddhist teacher, Tara Brock. But then in chapter two, we really go deep into it with the world-renowned addiction expert, Gabor Mate, who has been very influential in my life and my recovery. And uh, he is a huge proponent of the fact that all addictions stem from childhood experiences. Uh, And he also makes a very valuable point, something that might be um, common knowledge to much of your audience, but it wasn't for me. And he talked about the distinction between what he calls capital T traumas and lowercase t traumas, by which he means the capital T are those very blatantly obvious traumas, the big things uh, that you experience from Uh, things such as rape or molestation to natural disasters, the loss of a parent um, or a loved one, things like that, the very obvious traumas that that one may experience in their life. The lowercase t traumas are the everyday things that we often don't think of as traumatic, but actually are, especially when we're children. So an example could be just simply overhearing your parents argue and not necessarily a horrible argument where it's, you know, blood curdling screams or physical, anything like that. But, you know, even just arguing, raised voices. When you're a child and you hear that, I mean, you're already in a place where you don't necessarily feel like you're fitting in in the world yet. You know, things are scary. You're relying on mom and dad or mom and or dad to help you with clothes, getting dressed, um, food, meals, getting ready for school. So it's already, the world is already a scary place in and of itself. But something as simple as overhearing your parents arguing, the people that are supposed to love themselves can be traumatic in a way. And add to that these other instances that could be classified as lowercase t trauma. So light bullying, you know, not not being beat up, but maybe just light bullying or or being picked on. Um, You start to add these things up and they're it's kind of like a snowball effect where they build and build and get bigger and bigger. And so in many cases, those traumas are the ones that actually have a greater impact in our lives than the bigger ones because they're not as obvious and not as easy to pinpoint and then work with later on in life. Uh, So in my case, uh, I talked with Ann Davin in the book. She's, I think, chapter four, and she addresses uh, EMDR therapy. And I'm going to butcher it. It's eye movement, um, something like re- integration, desensitization. I That's not exactly it. I encourage anyone listening, and I apologize for butchering that. It does stand for something, um, not that, but in that vein. And 
I have been beneficial or had the benefit of starting that therapy myself after speaking with Anne in chapter four. She's an incredible Jungian depth psychologist, among other things. But I, I will say that that has been probably the most um, just incredible experience of locating these lowercase t traumas and reowning them, reintegrating them reprocessing them um, and capital T traumas as well. But uh, the way that that therapy works, it's amazing to me how things are all connected, just like the question that you started with, Julie, um, the connection of everything that goes for traumas and pain and life experience as well. It's, it's all part of it. So in EMDR therapy, I have found, and, and this is Perhaps just for me, though, anyone I've talked with that's undergone EMDR therapy has had nothing but wonderful things to say about it. But it's really helped me to begin to see this kind of web of interconnected life experiences and pain and how the pain in my younger years, uh, whether it's childhood or even into my teenage years, has uh, been an underlying current of later on uh, a adult, young adult, now into my 40s life and the pain I experience, how it's all connected. Uh, so I highly recommend anyone that has the means to um, to take on EMDR therapy if your insurance covers it. Of course, research it first and see if it's something that seems like a fit for you. But I, I must say in my own personal experience, uh, and this is after years of meditation, years of experience, or, uh, exploring various yogic practices, various breathing techniques, all of which I still incorporate. So I don't want to say I just rely solely on one thing, but I've found that EMDR has really been um, next level in regards to healing. And I have to thank Anne and some other friends who suggested that. So, mm. um, yeah, so that's 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 a lot to, that I, I just threw out at you in regards to trauma and childhood. So if there's anything you'd like me to unpack further, happy to, um, mm. or wherever you want to go from there. Well, thank you. I am where I want to go from there is to just pause into um, some important pieces here of that this book is filled with um, not only just really meaningful dialogue, but you have some practices in here. You have recommendations and some suggestions through all the different um, really leading edge healers, spiritual teachers, um, experts that you've interviewed here and had a conversation with. And I do want to say, just for our listeners' benefit, Chris, that the, the thing that I appreciate the most about this book is that you integrate in a conversational tone what you're talking about with the, the things you really appreciate in this book with these different um, people that you're having conversations with, but then your life, your narrative, your thoughts are right along with it. And it's, so it's, it's really a, a delightful read. It's not like you're just reading someone that's being interviewed. It really yeah. is fully integrated. So thank you for that. That was a great, answer and we Thanks. need to take a break but when we come back i want to just go a little bit deeper into um why now with chris um with this relapse and and recovery and then i promised the listeners when i said that um 
you care about relapse. I would love for you to unpack that a little bit more because I think it's another important conversation with this Dead Set on Living. So we're going to take a quick break. We're here with Chris Grasso, author of Dead Set on Living. When we come back, you're going to learn so much more on this journey to waking up. We'll be right back. Listening to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at empowerradio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at empowerradio.com. All right. I know this isn't any fun to talk about, but we should. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Where to be found. Batteries? Dead. Great. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. No. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Good enough. Cell phones? May not work. Uh, emergency water? Not a drop. And what about food? Nope. Perfect. We all know where we're meeting if we're separated, yeah? The library! Aunt Joan's house. The bus stop. Great. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Sounds like we don't have a plan. Who's up for mini golf? Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. In history, I learned that I'm trash. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In biology, in English, I learned that I make people sick. And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I learned that no one. In biology, chemistry, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. The only thing I didn't learn in school today. The only thing I didn't learn today. The only thing I didn't learn is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You found Empower Radio. It's like sunshine for your soul. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. 
Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with author of Dead Set on Living, Chris Grasso. You can find out more about Chris's work at theindiespiritualist.com. Again, that's theindiespiritualist.com. And Chris, thanks again for being here right before the break. We were talking about the the role of trauma and pain in addiction. And I, I brought it up with the conversation of the idea of disconnection. And I'm going to tell you what I did after, after reading the book this morning on Facebook, I, I put a prompt out there and I, and I asked, when was the first time you remember feeling separate or different? Mm-hmm. Because your book inspired me to really think about those early times of really feeling disconnected from others. And just like you say, it, it's those usually those lowercase t traumas of going, wow, and you know, developing self-reflection and developing the ego at those early tender years, all of a sudden, you know, we're not like the other person and we start really noticing how we're different. We're beginning comparing and contrasting. And that pain in itself can be at the root of so much pain and and that disconnection that we're talking about. So I'm just wondering if you can speak just a little more on the disconnection and um, what you learned from, from all these amazing luminaries in your book about that disconnection and really where we're going with the evolution of consciousness. Hmm. Yeah, great question. And uh, I love that you threw that out on Facebook. I think I might have to do similar, of course, giving you credit, because I I think that's so fascinating. uh, You know what? And before you answer that, it's fascinating the responses I'm getting, because um, right away, people did start talking about their lowercase t traumas. And I left the prompt very open like that, out of curiosity. I didn't say I'm going to have a show with Chris or that those early, you know, feeling separate or different is bad or good. There was no judgment about it. It was just, when was the first time you remember feeling separate or different? And almost everyone is coming in with their lowercase t traumas. And a few people said, I've always felt different and it's a good thing, you know, but not very many. Most people are coming in with their lowercase t traumas. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I'm going to have to go look after, you know, this afternoon when we're done and because I find that sort of thing absolutely fascinating. So thank you for posing that question to your audience. Um, In my case, Julie, I, it's interesting because I remember back to being, I don't know, five or six years old, probably closer to six. And I was playing soccer. I I loved soccer and hockey. Those are my two sports growing up. But at the same time, for whatever reason, I 
absolutely loved skateboarding. And this was back in the early to mid 80s. So it was not like it is today where skateboarding is, you know, an accepted sport. It was still a very counterculture frowned upon thing. So I've always had this kind of uh, dualistic nature about myself in the sense that I loved, you know, this, the, the more kind of mainstream thing. But then I also was very attracted to this uh, skateboarding and the the music and the skateboarding videos, which is punk rock, but I didn't even know what it was called because I was a kid still. Um, so I, I always loved that. But I have recognized um, through therapy and, and in later years how that was this these early experiences of me feeling just like you asked, um, different or separate. And it I appreciate that because it has helped me later on in life to be comfortable to as much as I can on any given day in my own skin. But at the time it was anything but comfortable, you know, especially as I got, I grew into my teenage years and really, really fell in love with alternative music and again, punk rock and hardcore. And, um, even to this day, it's, it's kind of interesting. Some of the conferences and festivals I speak at, you know, I'm a, I'm a very heavily tattooed person. I have big holes in my ears. And while tattoos, again, they're more uh, acceptable to this day and you see them more frequently, I've been doing that since literally my 18th birthday. So over 20 years ago. Um, so it's just fascinating to me to, to be at some of these conferences and I stick out like a sore thumb. Some of them I don't, but some of them, I remember speaking at celebrate your life a few years back with, uh, the quote unquote, a list, you know, spiritual teachers, you had Neil Donald Walsh and Miguel Ruiz and, uh, Wayne Dyer was supposed to be there. It unfortunately happened right after he passed away, but Marianne Williamson, I mean, all these big, big speakers. And I remember there was like 20 of us sitting up on stage and I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I remembered that feeling of difference I felt as a kid because on the relative material level, I certainly looked completely out of place. But along with that, I was overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude because I also felt my complete interconnectivity to the individuals to my left mm. and to my right and those that were in the room in the audience. There there was an experience of no separation. Um, so it was a really beautiful thing. So that's why I say I'm grateful for it now. But at the time, yeah, it can be lonely. It can be scary. I do a lot of work uh, with youth, as you mentioned in my uh, when you read my bio. I do at least three workshops a month with people ages 14 to 20, young, um, young adults, men and women, boys and girls, however you want to qualify them. Uh, that are in a mental health and well-being facility for drugs, alcohol, depression, self-cutting, suicide attempts, even at such a young age, uh, video game addictions, a lot of what I cover in this book. And they are, the majority of them at least, are still in a place where they certainly are feeling different and separate and having a difficult time finding their place in the world as probably anyone or most people in that age are. So I'm not just saying those that are in a, a facility are feeling that, but, um, I, I feel very blessed and humbled and completely utterly honored to have that time with them and to try to help them finding their way and letting them know that they're not alone in that feeling of separation and, and otherness at times, because I still deal with that. I still struggle with that. Even though I've had these complete, beautiful, 
non-dual experiences, completely beautiful mystic experiences, you know, just amazing things that have shown me through direct experience beyond any shadow of a doubt that everything truly, truly is entirely interrelated. It is all just an expression of consciousness or whatever you care to call it. Uh, there is still the human experience that is entangled in all of that. And along with that comes the messiness of being human and the fears and tragedies. And, uh, but on the other hand, the triumphs and the, the joy and the beauty. And, you know, it's as Ram Das says, it's all grist for the mill. And I, I try to remind myself of that both during good times and bad. So I'm not grasping for the good or having aversion towards the quote unquote bad. It's simply is as it is in this moment. It's all impermanent. It's all going to pass. And uh, just trying to be as skillful through it all as I can be. So I have no idea if I answered your question. <laughs> but I'm just free flowing here with you. Whatever's coming up is coming out. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I, I, you are giving us some really beautiful pearls of wisdom here. And I'm just wondering um, what you feel is this bottom line of, of moving from self-destruction now to waking up this you know from from the effing up to waking up what do you feel like we talked about this disconnection and so many of our kids are feeling disconnected we've also disconnected with parts of ourselves and one of the takeaways from the book from from my perspective was loving ourselves back into wholeness and really loving those parts of ourselves that maybe we've disconnected from, but also really understanding that inner connectivity, like that experience of no separation you talked about. But I'm wondering what your bottom line takeaway from your experience is. Yeah. So mine is a, you're absolutely right. Loving ourselves back into wholeness, a, a crucial step in this. But for me, it goes a step before that. And that is the sense of dissatisfaction, uh, with life, with what I would, what I'd been come to know, uh, life to be, which is essentially what I was fed from, whether it was mass media or government taught in schools. And not to say that all of this is bad. I'm not, and I don't want to get it confused, but there was a general sense of dissatisfaction for me that started as a child, went through my teenage years. I know that part of that certainly played into my addictive experiences. And that's ultimately that along with the um, addiction and the near death experiences I've had are ultimately what led me to the spiritual path, which is what I attribute um me still being alive predominantly too, are those practices and these teachers. Now, most people I talk to that have an interest in spirituality, whatever that looks like for them, they typically don't come here um, because life is good. It's often a sense of dissatisfaction, a sense of there has to be something more, you know, there's something inside of them that feels uh, pulled or called or is questioning, you know, what, what is, what am I missing? Uh, not to say that's the case for everyone, but most people that I talk to seem to have that as uh, somewhat of a common denominator uh, of what brought them to this path. Mm. So for me, it was ultimately that dissatisfaction, the being brought to my knees quite literally from my addiction, um, which ultimately it, it it's interesting. I was speaking with a gentleman named Wayne Lickerman, who is a 
descendant of that Advaita tradition, a wonderful non-dual teacher. Uh, I was speaking with him last week, and he too spent 19 years in active addiction before uh, cleaning himself up. And he talks about how his guru said that his addiction was his sadhana, his spiritual practice. And I had never quite looked at it like that. And then it, it was like a one of you know a light bulb went off. Like, wow, I can see how that translates into my life because that for me was really much of the preparatory work that began deflating the ego. And, and, um, I mean, when you're strung out, when you're going through withdrawals, nothing says, you know, the white flag of surrender is now waved, like being in that place, you know, where you, it, it, it takes all you can to get up out of bed to go to the bathroom, you know, and, and I'll leave it at that, but it's an, it's an ugly process. Mm. So I saw, you know, exactly what he meant. Now I am in no way <laughs> saying go pick up a habit to drugs and alcohol. It'll you know it'll further you on your spiritual path because that's no please don't. But I am grateful that I can see that it was not all for nothing. That it did serve in some way to further me along. Mm. Of course, there are other people. I have known many people, unfortunately, that have lost their life to that. And so that's why I want to be very clear. In no way am I saying. Drugs and alcohol are the way. Of, I mean, that probably goes without saying, but I just, it's something that's very important. Yeah. But um, yeah, a lot of people, unfortunately, have not made it back like I have, let alone the number of times like I have. And of course, sh uh, and shilt, <laughs> guilt and shame uh, have been a result of that. But therein lies, again, more for me to work with in my practice, in my path. So finding whatever semblance of gratitude I can for the hardships in life, because in my experience, those have always been the greatest catalyst towards my awakening, towards my deepening, towards uh, my understanding of the complete interconnectivity that we all share. So even when I say my, that's a bit of a contradiction because being blessed to have had these non-dual experiences, not that I live in a state of abiding non-dual awareness 24-7 by any means, but I have had many experiences that have shown, quote-unquote, me or this body-mind mechanism that is Chris, that uh, Chris is really just a concept. You know, Chris is uh, mm. a, a lot of a lot of conditioning and gen genetic predispositions, but um, aside from that, Chris is just a, an idea and a construct, but uh, whatever, you know, that, again, that's a whole nother podcast or conversation right there. <laughs> Maybe we should um, do part two, part yes. three, part four. <laughs> <laughs> really? But um, yeah, I mean, so that said, that, that for me is, is what it was. That was the big takeaway for me. And then kind of having that reaffirmed in those conversations in the book um, that in, in my path, that was essentially uh, a big part of what I had to go through and how even with that relapse, it nearly took my life. I remember speaking with, uh, I think both Mirabai Starr, an incredible mystic scholar and Dr. Lissa Rankin, who is a wonderful, wonderful author and healer, New York times bestseller. Um, they both said in their own ways, what if the relapse you experienced was absolutely perfect, which is completely counterintuitive to how I would normally look at it. 
But upon sitting with that in meditation and really reflecting on it, how could it be anything otherwise? You know, because mm. it's what happened. It was completely in, not to sound too esoteric or woo, but it really was in the divine order of things. And then, you know, but then we can ask, well, what about the people who don't make it back? And again, beyond the scope of this conversation, but I, in my life, I have to look at my direct experience and that was and is my direct experience. And with that comes humility and gratitude and uh, just a deep appreciation for this day and this moment. And that's why my service is so important. My writing, my speaking, my working with people, I do not take for granted ever that I am still alive. Not a day goes by that I take that for granted. And, um, and with that, comes this sense of urgency to help others. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, it, it just uh, overwhelms me at times. Mm. Well, that is a, a good lead in. I have another really important question I want to ask you, but this is a good lead in to um, what one of the statements that really moved me when I was reading your book was when you said, I began to care mm-hmm. about relapsing. Yeah. What, and I think you've kind of explained what you're meaning by that, but I'm wondering if that one statement means more to you. Yeah, I, and I love that you picked that out or picked up on that because that is that's big, and that kind of uh, resonates completely with what you were just saying about loving ourselves back into wholeness. The reason I, I had mentioned that was because, as I said earlier, I've had uh, a number of relapses or experienced a number of relapses in my life, and. For the majority of them, I was at such a rock bottom in my life. I truly did not care in that moment if I lived. I was not, I have uh, attempted suicide separate from those experiences, but in those specific experiences, it wasn't that I was trying to die necessarily, but I also wasn't really trying to live. Hence, I think the importance of Dead Set on Living for this book, the title and the meaning behind that. But I really didn't care. I just was so over life in that moment. I was really in a very dark, desperate place. And that began to shift, especially after the experience in 2010 or 11 with that relapse. And when I landed in New Jersey, which I mentioned about prior to Indie Spiritualist, um, because my spiritual practice was deepening. I was working and continue to work uh, with the loving kindness meditation practice, which I think I have shared in all three of my books, just because it's become such a cornerstone of my integral well-being. And I've seen incredible, incredible uh, effects and benefits with others who have taken it on. And of course, that's not a practice that's unique to me. It came well before me and uh, is highly celebrated by teachers like Sharon Salzberg and Pema Chodron and so on. There's no shortage of teachers that are sharing that practice. But that was one that really taught me how to begin to love myself because I did not know how to up to that point. I could not stand myself. And even when I began the loving kindness practice, it's traditionally taught you start with yourself and you make these aspirations of caring and compassion and love towards yourself. And I would do that, but it would be so quick and I would move over, move through myself and then onto the other people that you bring into that practice and spend more time with them. But what I found was the longer I did it, Uh, the easier it started to become to spend, even if it's just a few more seconds on myself in that practice, to do that. 
And I wasn't just mimicking the words. I was actually beginning to really mean them and feel them. And that's continued to grow and grow over the years as I've used that. And so now, you know, when I had that relapse that I write about, I didn't want to die. I didn't go back into that place of complete despair and hopelessness. Yes, my marriage was over. Yes, I was moving back to the U.S. from Canada. I didn't know what I was going to do, quite literally. I mean, I just, everything was, it was like a tornado of emotions and thoughts. And uh, it was awful. Uh, But I did not want to go fully back down that path. I did not want to die. And uh, and again, that, that leads me to the title of the book. But I really cared enough about myself and and I thank my meditation and my spiritual practices and the books I read and the teachers I have learned from and the podcasts I've listened to and the exercising and the meetings and I mean there's just so much it's all of these moving parts that have come together um, to to really Help me be a better person today, and mm-hmm. and like I said earlier, quite literally saved my life, at least for today to this point, and hopefully tomorrow. So beautiful. So Chris, thank you for that. We have about three minutes here for one last question that I, I think is important. And you mentioned in the book that um, you know sometimes we think there's nothing we can say to the addict who's deep into um, the addiction at this point, and then there's a, a rebuttal to that of well what if, you know, maybe there is something you could say. What would you say to a young person today that's really trying to find their authentic self, but they're deep into that addiction? What would you say in two minutes or less? Yeah. And that's, thank you. It's it's important and so hard because I, I, like I said, I deal with that so often uh, with the people I work with and it's not as simple as a a blanket statement. Um, it's a, especially when you are talking to youth, they're very unique. We are all unique, but especially in that stage, they're finding themselves, they're finding their way. So the best course of action I try to take is in no way impose what I think on them or try to guide them necessarily, but really ask and listen and help them perhaps find some of their passions, whether it be music or art or nature or skateboarding, whatever it is, and go from there. Help them to identify these things and ways that they can serve them in their life. Finding healthy outlets, healthy alternatives to that of drugs and alcohol, ways that they can find meaning and purpose um, and also work through pain. Because that's why so many people, regardless of the age, they turn to those things because they don't know healthier alternatives. So trying to incorporate that at a younger age and again, just finding this healthy aspect that one might help them in finding their identity, finding who they are, finding their likes, what they love to do in life, they're passionate about, and then using that as a means of learning to love life through that lens of whether it is a skateboard or a guitar or what the paintbrush, the pen to paper, whatever it is. Um, and, and again, just using that as a healthy means of living in this world, idealistic and optimistic. Uh, as I say that knowing though, that that's not always going to be the truth, but it's what I hope at at the very Mm -hmm. least. Chris Grasso, thank you for your courage 
literally for your courage to bring this book forward, um, for your transparency on your struggle and really how it's going to help so many people on our planet right now. Thank you. Thank you for using your voice in this way. My thanks to you for, for those kind words, Julia. It's the, it's the least I feel I can do. So thank you for honoring that. And I honor you for your work as well. Deep bows to you. Mm, well, thank you. I, um, I do want to just let everybody know again, look at deep dead set on living. You can find Chris at the indiespiritualist.com. And I want to leave you with a quote from the book. It's from the words of Gabor Mate, who he mentioned earlier. The word recover is one I never get tired of saying. It means to find something you've lost. And what is it that people recover once they're recovered themselves. That's the disconnection and it's healing. A relapse helps you find yourself. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And remember together we're creating connections for the good of the whole until next time I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs>